Good morning to all of you. Welcome, believers and unbelievers alike. And uh, sure makes the pastors happy when you have a good crowd for Easter. Makes the pastors even happier when you have a good crowd, a bigger crowd, the week after Easter. And it really makes the pastors happy when Sam's back. <laughs> Sam, we love you. And we missed you last week. Sam was out. Uh, wasn't feeling well last week, but boy, we missed him. And Cody was out last week. Cody was preaching at uh, Eastview Baptist Church in Shelbyville for uh, Easter. So we're glad to have him back as well. And it's good to see all of you here today. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. We will read the entire first chapter of Philippians. And uh, to do that, I would like to ask uh, for four volunteers who will read for us. If they would come forward. I need four volunteers who will join me in the reading. Emma Ruth, I see you. Come on up. There's Emma Ruth. I need three more. It's going to be a long morning. There's one. Have a person in it. I like to call and they can come and say, Come on, Sam. Go right ahead. And Sam, you're the fourth leader. Okay, that's why I'll read this. All right. And you may have noticed our church has a, um, we, to emphasize the importance of the Lord's Word before we read the Scripture, not every time we read the Scripture, but many times, especially at this point in the service, when we read this, the Scripture, you're going to hear one of us say, hear the Word of the Lord. And then at the end, this is the Word of the Lord. And then the audience responds, as it's, thanks be to God. Exactly. Hear the Word of the Lord, Philippians chapter 1. Verse 1 and following, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayers with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with the knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes to Jesus Christ, the glory and praise of God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. 
Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my own prison. <coughs> what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ that this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is, my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by left death or by sorry, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to be, is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary <coughs> on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. <coughs> So that in me you may have ample cause of glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life that's, be worth. That's, that's Sam. That's Sam. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am an absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And not frightening anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but for your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in it, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. Several reasons why Philippians is uh, such a favorite. Uh, maybe because it's so short. Um, it's uh, only four chapters. It's pretty easy to follow and understand. There's really no conflict uh, that is uh, referenced in this particular book, which is unusual for so many of the books that were written to the church uh, early in that uh, first century that, uh, believe it or not, there was actually conflict in the church. Um, but uh, Philippians, there's no uh, hint or uh, evidence that there were any kind of problems of this nature. I'm sure there were. But uh, Paul does not reference them if there were. And uh, I will say that Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible. And I will tell you that Philippians chapter 1 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. And Miss Pam so ably read uh, a couple of verses there that are favorites of mine, maybe favorites of yours. And I love Philippians 1. We'll be talking about some of those verses here a little bit later. As a matter of fact, Pam read Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. Hope it's one of yours too. Uh, but I also must say that Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 is also another one of my favorites. And it goes like this. And I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul's confidence 
in the believers and their faith in Philippi was so strong that he could say, I am sure of this. I am confident. I am certain that the good work that the Lord has begun in you will be brought to completion, to fruition at the day of Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 1 verses 18 through 20 is another one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. And it's also a prayer. It's, it's a prayer of blessing. And it's always a good idea to pray the scriptures back to the one who wrote it in the first place. And that's what I want to do right now. I want to pray this blessing, Philippians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10. I want to pray that over you. I want to pray it not only because it applied to the church at Philippi, but I want to pray it over every Christian in the world today. I think of Brother Bruce and Rock Hill, South Carolina, as they're dealing with this physical setback of the fire. I think of all the believers here who are at Blackman Baptist Church today. So I want to pray this over you. Let's pray. Father, today I pray Philippians chapter 1 verses 8 through 10 over all the believers gathered today at Blackman Baptist Church. Please hear my prayer and answer our requests. Because it is my prayer for all of you here that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Only two points to the message today. Only two points. But I'm not going to tell you how many subpoints, so don't get your hopes up. <coughs> Point number one we should respect Paul. Funny thing about Paul, Paul is either loved or hated. As a Pharisee, the Pharisees loved him for his great zeal for the God of Israel. But when he became a Christian, the Pharisees turned on him and they hated him. Saul of Tarsus, that was originally Paul was known as Saul, Saul of Tarsus, loved, then hated. But as a murderous, murdering Pharisee who persecuted the church with great zeal, remember, he was there when Stephen, one of the first deacons, was illegally executed. And not only did Paul, or Saul at that time, Saul of Tarsus, not only did he participate, he consented and helped the Pharisees by holding their coats so that they could have free reign to throw the rocks at Stephen that killed him. Christians feared him until the unthinkable happened. Saul of Tarsus met Jesus on the road to Damascus and his name was changed to Paul. Jesus himself appeared to him on the road to Damascus and and the unthinkable happened. Saul became a devout Christian. So at first, Saul was hated and feared by Christians, but then he eventually became loved. And as Christians have loved him down through the years, because they think of Paul as the good Christian, we should love him too. But still, down through the years, many Christians have struggled with Paul 
not just Peter, not just Barnabas, not just John Mark, but other Christians have struggled with him as well. Some Christians, though, in their love and respect for Paul, have gone so far as to concentrate almost entirely on what he had to say in the letters that he wrote to the churches, and they rarely venture outside of, of that part of the New Testament. They don't go to the Gospels much. They don't go to Acts much. And they certainly don't go to the Old Testament much. Paul the Apostle, loved by Christians. Other Christians in their discomfort and pain with Paul and his letters and the doctrines that the Lord gave him to us through these letters. Some Christians have gone so far as to ignore him. Or even worse, demote him and his teachings to the back bench of Christianity if they can bring themselves to include him at all. Paul is a very controversial figure, both loved and hated, respected and disrespected. And so my first point today is that we should respect Paul. Because we do not have the luxury, if you want to call it that, of being able to pick and choose those portions of the scriptures with which we're comfortable with. Those portions of the scriptures that we fully understand. Those portions of the scriptures with which in our sinful hearts we actually agree with. We don't have that luxury. We can't pick and choose. And we can't abandon and discard the scriptures that convict us and make us uncomfortable. We must preach the entire word of God. The whole counsel of God. We're not going to make the same age-old mistake of picking and choosing the parts of God's words that we want to believe just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. And so we respect Paul. And why do we respect Paul? I'm going to give you four reasons. Acts chapter 16. When Paul went to Philippi, he was beaten. He was enslaved. He was in prison. He was chained with Silas. But the Lord worked his work there. And Paul ended up planting a church in Philippi. A place of pain for him. But Paul had his mind on the greater good for the church. Paul had his heart set on doing God's will. And so Paul planted a church in Philippi. And Paul ended up ministering to those who had hurt him. And then he led them to Jesus Christ. And then Paul stayed in touch with those believers. And you can imagine in the first century staying in touch with believers scattered across the Mediterranean. How difficult that was. We were talking just this week about how difficult it is for us to stay in touch with each other as believers here at Blackman Baptist Church. Can you imagine the difficulty that Paul encountered? But he stayed in touch with these people. He knew what was going on in their lives and he leaned into it. And the letter that we're looking at today, the first chapter of that letter, is evidence that Paul loved the believers at Philippi. So one reason why we should respect Paul is because he planted a church here in Philippi, ministering to those who had hurt him, staying in touch with these believers over the course of time. And then another reason why I think we should respect Paul is how he lived his life. And it's evidenced here in Philippians chapter 1. Paul prayed for these believers. Paul thanked God for these believers. Upon every, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. So he prayed for them. He thanked God for them. He partnered with them. He 
extended the definition of the word partner to them. And he said, even though you beat me and put me in prison and hurt me, God had a better idea in mind. And now, formerly you beat me, now you're my partners. Verse 3 says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He prayed for them. He thanked God for them. He partnered with them. He loved them. Verse 7, you can, you can hear the love that Paul had for these believers. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me in grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul extended not only the word partner to them, he also extended the word partaker to them. Partners in the ministry, partakers of grace. And it's all because Paul wanted what was best for these believers. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I respect Paul, and I would even go so far as to say that I, I love Paul. But in comparison to Jesus Christ, Paul is the moon And Jesus is the Son. Paul was just a reflector of God's grace and mercy to him. And that brings me to point number two. Point number one was respect Paul. And don't conflate these two points because Paul is not Jesus' equal in any way. Point number one, respect Paul. And number two, love Jesus. You'll notice that I led with Paul, but I saved the best for last. And you know what? That's exactly what Paul would have us to do. If Paul were here today and he spoke English, which I wouldn't be surprised if he did, he would say, Brother Kevin, you've already spent too much time talking about me. Talk about Jesus. Talk about the one who saved me. And I know that Paul loved Jesus. How do I know this? Three ways. Number one, Paul lived for Jesus. Paul lived for Jesus. Verse 21, Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. One of the ways I know that Paul loved Jesus is because he he spent his life for Jesus. He gave his life for Jesus. Second way I know that Paul loved Jesus is that he suffered for him. Verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now, this is not just Paul the optimist putting a good spin on what was going on. Paul could look at his chains and think about his confinement in a Roman prison and say, I know that God is using this. He also knew that um, this is the way that God was going to advance the church through his suffering. 
Verse 29, Paul says this, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here that I still have. So Paul extends the fellowship, the partnership, the partakers of grace. He extends that to the church at Philippi and says, you're going to suffer too, just like I'm suffering. And that's how God has chosen to advance his kingdom. Here's a question for you, believer. Do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you can show it in three ways. You can live for him. As I was preparing for this message yesterday, I took a little break, checked my email, and I saw an email from John Piper's group about a book that he's coming out with. It's called Don't Waste Your Life. And in the description of this book, John Piper says this, Desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through your life without a passion. And John Piper's passion is Jesus Christ. Christian, do you love Jesus? Are you living for him? Another way that you can show your great love for Jesus is you should be willing to suffer for him. I came across this in my reading yesterday. This is by N.T. Wright. This is a, a book aptly entitled Paul. And this is a fairly long quote, but it's so important. I want you to follow with me. So hang in there with me. Paul's missionary journeys were not simply aimed at telling people about Jesus in order to generate interpersonal transformation and a new sense of ultimate hope, though both of these mattered vitally as well. Paul's letters and missionary journeys were aimed at the establishment of a new kind of kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. A kingdom with Jesus as king. The kingdom, and Paul was quite emphatic about this, that Israel's God had always intended to set up. It was always part of God's plan. Humanly speaking, of course, this was a fragile prospect. It was bound to be since its character was taken from its starting point, the Messiah's shameful death. As Paul would later insist, the way in which the kingdom was put into effect was always going to be the same through the suffering of its members, particularly its leaders. We've been studying the book of Acts. We're going to continue to study the book of Acts. We're taking a, a four-week little detour as we look at what happened in Acts in Philippi and we look at the letter that Paul wrote back to the Christians at Philippi. But Paul's journeys in Acts are full of troubles, persecutions, beatings, stonings, and the like. But this only highlights for what for Paul lay at the core of the whole thing. <coughs> If the world was so hostile to the gospel message, why not wait for a better opportunity? Why should this be the moment for the non-Jewish nations to hear the message? It's because God chose to advance his church through the suffering of the believers. If you love Jesus, then live for him. 
Be prepared to suffer for him. Don't waste your life. Do something of eternal significance. There's also a movie out right now, also entitled Paul. And I would recommend if you get the chance to go see it, go see it. Because the central theme in this movie is the same thing that God has chosen the suffering of his people to advance his kingdom. And aren't we to be like Jesus? And didn't Jesus bring the gospel to us through his own suffering? Three ways to love Jesus. Live for him. Suffer for him. Be willing to die for him. Jesus said it himself. Take up your cross and follow me. He said do it daily. This is a constant, everyday deal. If you wake up the next morning and you're still breathing, it is your responsibility as a Christian to die to yourself, to put the benefit of the kingdom ahead of your own benefit, to live your life with eternal significance, not concentrating on the things that are of temporary value, the things that will pass away, but to concentrate on the things that will last forever. And the things that will last forever are the word of God and the souls of the people around you. You should be willing to die for Jesus. Verse 27, Paul closes this first chapter by saying this. Only, and this was his prayer, only let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you. That you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Only let your manner of life be worthy. Let me ask you, Christian, is your life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you standing firm in the spirit with the other believers in one spirit? Are you standing firm with other believers in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel? I want to talk to the believers here for just a minute. Believers, respect Paul, love Jesus. <laughs> Live for Jesus, suffer for Jesus, die for Jesus daily. The question is, is your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ? Are you standing firm side by side with other believers in one spirit? And now a word to the unbelievers. Oh, what a dreadful term that is. Maybe you're where Saul of Tarsus was before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was an unbeliever. And you know, Saul knew what it was like to have worldly fame and power. He knew what it was like to live his life without Christ. He knew what it was like to have success and fame and power. To have accomplishment and rank and power and position. But after he met Jesus, do you know what he said about all that? It's a little bit later in the book of Philippians. Chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. Paul says this. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things 
and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Can you say that? Can you lose everything? Could you lose your home? Could you lose your church? Could you lose everything that you hold physically dear? I always love it when they answer rhetorical questions. Can you say, I count all of that as loss? I count everything as lost. I count, worse than that, I counted this trash, rubbish. Why? In order that I may gain Christ. You remember that it was Jesus who said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? So, unbeliever, don't miss out on the greatest gift of all the gift from God, Jesus because he wants to save your soul.